Hello, and welcome to the Reach or Miss Show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur, where Hayut Yogev speaks with entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs about reaching or missing the critical point of approaching the right customer with the right message at the right time and place. The point where business success starts. And here is your host, Hayut Yogev. Rich or Miss, episode 159. Hey, my riches. The coronavirus is still here, but I think we might start to see the light at the end of the tunnel. For me, the coronavirus is the first global destructive crisis I've experienced as an entrepreneur. None of my close colleagues and friends experienced such a crisis before. However, each of us that is in business for more than 30 years had experienced a few major business crises at a business or national level. For me, the first significant business crisis started on September 15th, 2008. I was in Zurich on my way to a big annual exhibition with Malonmark startup clients. I got a call from my bank business department manager, a big payment of $25,000 that was to be deposited into my bank account that day was cancelled. It was the day of the Lehman Brothers' bankruptcy and the financial landscape changed forever that day. Over the next few days, two of my biggest clients cancelled their contracts. My company was less than nine months old. I carefully built it step by step with clients I knew and could trust. It was my first year of being independent after more than 20 years of executive marketing roles in international leading brands. The situation was totally new to me. It was a painful failure, and the next few months were incredibly difficult, or should I say challenging. However, looking back, this was exactly what allowed me to grow so fast in the following years. In 2010, we closed the first investment of $1.5 million for one of our clients and suddenly the company was growing faster than ever. If you ask me which of these cases in those years affected my future business success most, it was definitely the failure, not the success that came afterwards. The coronavirus has changed almost everything we knew and got used to in the last 10 years. It's a shocking, painful event that affects our total daily routine and habits in our personal and business lives. However, as I learned from some of the most successful entrepreneurs I interviewed on my Rich or Miss podcast, it can also be a very significant business leap. Before diving in today's episode, I recommend you to go to the richormiss.com site you will find there many guides and free tools to help you in your journey. And, of course, the show notes of this episode as well of all our 150 other interviews. Some of the very successful entrepreneurs that I interviewed talked about the crisis that led to their success. 
Today we are going to hear four of them. Bruce Van Horn, Jonathan Slain, Jeff Bullas, and Avi Aron that started their successful businesses from the lowest starting point. One of my most surprising and exciting interviews was with Bruce Van Horn, who started his story by saying, I'm an executive and life coach, as well as a business and leadership consultant. I survived stage four prostate cancer, the death of my daughter, a divorce, and two bankruptcies. I had a bankruptcy that happened a couple of years after my daughter's death, just before my divorce. I was at the very low point of my life, and I hated everything about my life at that point, he said. I think it is an amazing story, not only because the tough experience Bruce went through, but because of his journey to reach a meaningful, fulfilling level of success. Bruce Van Horn is a best-selling author, speaker, thought leader, transformational life coach, business and leadership coach, marathon runner, and cancer concurrer. Bruce hosts the Life is a Marathon podcast, which has millions of listeners in over 210 countries around the world. Bruce is passionate about sharing his life experiences and respected insight to help people overcome their negative thinking and limiting beliefs and develop a winning mindset. Bruce loves coaching people to become the fullest expression of who they were created to be. He lives in Richmond, Virginia. Bruce Van Horn, what a pleasure to have you here. Hi. It's such a pleasure. Thank you for, for giving me the opportunity. It's great having you here. Thank you for coming. I just shared with our listeners what you have done until now. And I would like to ask you to share with us what are you doing and most passionate about today and where are you heading? What I do now, I speak. I am an executive and life coach, a, a business and leadership consultant. I've been doing this for about six years now. I, I realized that all of the experiences that I had had in my life, personal tragedies of my life, I lost everything filing bankruptcy a couple years after my daughter's death. And just on the uh, just before my divorce, I was at a very, very low place in my life to the point where I was actually suicidal. I was driving around my hometown for bridge overpasses to jump off of. I, at that point, I had two boys. Um, it was my my middle daughter who passed away, but I didn't even like being a dad. I dreaded waking up every morning. I just hated everything about my life at that point. And it was actually through the process of running a marathon. My older brother challenged me. He was a marathon runner. And so he challenged me to run a marathon that year with him. Now, I thought he was crazy. I didn't <laughs> want to do it. But I, I was like, you know what? Why not? And it was actually through the process of running a marathon that I learned so much about myself and what it was that was holding me back in my life. I was at that point in total victim mode. I had a long list of everything that was wrong with my life and things that hadn't gone right in my life. And I had a correspondingly long list of everybody or, or everything 
that was to blame for those problems. And I wasn't on that list. Uh And what I learned after getting very far into marathon training was that if you aren't successful at training for your own marathon, that's all on you. Personal accountability, personal responsibility is the only way to run a marathon. If you don't do the training, you can't blame somebody else. You can't subcontract it. You know, you can't hire a marketing team to go out and do your marathon training Mm -hmm. and then blame them if it doesn't work well. And I realized that the number one problem that I had in my life was a thinking problem. Hmm. It was a thinking problem. And I got up every morning and I did my marathon training and I realized, first of all, you can't train for a marathon with a negative mindset about whether or not you can do it. You know, if if you keep waking up every morning and say, oh, I just can't do this, I can't do this, your body will eventually say, you know what, you're right, we can't. But if you wake up with a mindset that says, you know what, not only can I do this, but I'm going to do this and I know exactly why I'm going to do this. And so it's all about having a big why. And as I had completely transformed my body, I was no longer overweight and out of shape. I was a marathon runner. And I realized that my my brother very early on said something I thought was absolutely ridiculous. He said, Bruce, the hardest part about running a marathon is making the decision to do it. Now, I thought that was crazy because I thought the hardest part about running a marathon was the actual running part. But he was right, but I misunderstood him. The hardest part about running a marathon is making the decision to do it. But I thought he was talking about a decision that you make once. But this this is a decision that you have to make every single day of your life to get up, to do the things necessary to become the person that you believe that you're capable of becoming. And once I realized that about how it transformed my body, I started to apply that philosophy to every area of my life. And so my finances started to turn around again after my second bankruptcy. My relationships got better. I started enjoying my life Mm -hmm. and people started to notice that I was no longer a negative, pessimistic, sarcastic person. And they started asking me what was going on in my life. And so I just started telling them and I got invited to be somebody's life coach. He was in sales. And he said, dude, I don't know what it is that you've got, but I want it. And I want to hire you to be my life coach. And I had never even heard of the phrase life coach before. I had heard about consultants and and I knew all about psychologists and counselors and therapy and all of that. But so he told me his idea of a life coach. And I was like, all right, whatever, I'll, I'll do this. And he paid me $20 per session. We met at a Starbucks for coffee once a week. And it just worked really, really well. And I found that that was really my gift was being able to, I I realized that all of the experiences that I had had in my life between, you know, being very involved in large businesses, understanding leadership and going through the personal tragedies of my life and coming out on the other side of them, having been better person for having had those experiences really set me up to what I do for a living now, which is is working with people on their mindset, on their businesses, on their visions, 
helping them, you know, you have an endurance mindset, helping them climb the mountains <laughs> of, their, of life. their life, both both physically and metaphorically. But really, it's about ascending. I, I discovered yoga and I discovered meditation and really getting very clear about your state of consciousness. So sort of how I got to where I am now and and what I do. And so I what I do now is I, I speak. I am an executive and life coach, a, a business and leadership consultant. So I work with businesses pretty much of all sizes, everything from you know, 10 to 15, 20 employees or a solopreneur, all the way up to, to large corporations. I, I talk about branding and energy within, within businesses and how the, the idea that the, uh, the biggest enemy of your business is thinking that you have competition. <laughs> and that kind of rocks people's world because we're, we live in a very competitive Competitive culture. And when I show up to a business and say, you know what, you've got to completely forget the word competition. You have to create the, the greatest products. You have to create, create the greatest customer experience. And when you are so focused on the act of creation, competition is irrelevant. I agree with you so much. I say it for years and I couldn't agree more. How long have you doing this new way of thinking with people? How long since you've started to be a life coach together I, with your consultancy? Yeah, so I've been doing this for about six years now. I, I took a, an entire year off in 2014. I was, I was diagnosed. I had stage four prostate cancer and the, the treatment for that and the surgery for that had a lot of complications. And so I took almost a year off. I, I maintained uh, just a handful of clients during that time, but I really focused on recovery. I also focused more on my mindset yeah. and focusing. Again, we will, always fo we will always get more of what we focus on. And so it kind of, I, I had to teach my doctors how to work with me because I don't want, I did not allow them to talk to me about cancer or fighting disease, you know, whatever it is that you're fighting will only grow. And so I, I had to work with my doctors on talking to me about health and strength. And, you know, I said, don't come in here and talk to me about cancer or, or, or fighting the disease. I, I said, let's talk about strength and getting healthier. Uh, you know, it's like they're competitors, isn't it? Exactly. You know, and so my, 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 my surgeon, told me, he, he came to my bedside and he said, Bruce, you know, I know that you love to run marathons. I just have to, as your doctor, I just have to break some bad news to you. I had to do a lot of cutting inside your abdomen, including the muscles that, that are your core strength muscles. And he said, I think we might in about six to seven months be able to get you back to easy jogging. Hmm. And maybe at some point in a year or so, you can start running 5Ks or 10Ks just for fun. But I think the days of your competitive running and certainly the days of your marathon running are over. And I said, well, okay, thank you for your concerns. I think <laughs> you shared it. 
at me from a position of love and just wanting to you know, not set me up for failure. But his agreement with reality was not my agreement with reality. And on the one year anniversary of me coming home from the hospital, about the time he thought I might run my first 10K, I ran the Boston Marathon. And so he's he was pretty shocked at that and was thought thought I was pushing too hard. But but again, it, it's all about, you know, what you believe is possible and taking the action to do it and, and completely eliminating negative thinking from your life. Because the only thing that, that holds you back, you know, I, I don't know what everybody's spiritual belief is about God or whatever, but if we believe this, there is this all-powerful force in the universe, there are no obstacles. There is nothing that is impossible for this force, for, for God. And I believe that all of us are made from this being and by this being, or there is a part of that divine nature in each of us. And so if we feel like there are obstacles, or if we feel like we're overwhelmed, or we're worried, or we're anxious, we're not tapped into that part of us that is divine and focused on creating and focused on just enjoying life. And so I bring all of this to, to the corporate world, and you know, that, that's kind of what I do. Hmm. My next guest that managed to build success out of a very tough time is Jonathan Slane. Jonathan not only managed to win the crisis he went through, he used the cause of the crisis he experienced to be the main idea of his successful new business. Let me introduce Jonathan Slane. Jonathan Slane's book, Rock the Recession, How Successful Leaders Prepare for, Thrive During, and Create Wealth After Downturns, came out in September 2019 and is the number one Amazon bestseller. Jonathan coaches high-growth leadership teams across the United States to implement the entrepreneurial operating system, also known as Traction. He focuses on working with entrepreneurial niche or specialty firms and large corporations, spending over 100 days per year working with teams just like yours. Jonathan was the valedictorian of his graduating class and had the highest GPA ever in the history of Shaker Heights High School, where he was also voted next Bill Gates and least likely to lose his virginity. Let's welcome Jonathan Slane. Jonathan Slane, what a pleasure to have you here with us. Hey! Let's rock. Let's rock. I'm so happy you are here with us. And I just shared with our listeners what you've done until now. And I like to ask you to share with us, what are you doing and most passionate about today? And where are you heading? Well, my day job is consulting work. So working with companies, uh, larger businesses, mostly on strategic planning after being an entrepreneur myself really started out my career in investment banking. So I'm a recovering <laughs> investment banker. Uh, but but realized, realized after working 80 to 100 hours a week for somebody else yeah. that it wasn't a fit. And so over a decade ago, uh, left investment banking and started uh, 
doing my own thing as an entrepreneur. And what did you start doing? Did you start consulting? Do you have anything else? No. Yeah. So after investment banking, I actually took a, a trip with my brother-in-law to Denver. He asked me to come look at a, a franchise business that he was interested in getting into. Okay. And my brother-in-law knew, he knew that I was uh, kind of the, the business guy in the family since I did a lot of mergers and acquisitions, helping buy and sell companies. And he wanted to make sure that the franchise would be a good investment. Okay. We went to Denver and we looked at the franchise together. And on the flight home, I told him, uh, why don't I leave the bank and do this with you? Oh, so this is the, this was actually the first time that you decided to leave the bank? Correct. 10, 10 12 years ago, uh, we went into the gym business together on the flight home. And uh, so I left the, the bank and started opening up gym franchises. And we grew to have five locations in five years oh. all over Cleveland, Ohio. Wow. And so that's how that business grew. And we grew and we grew and we grew and we set uh, the record in the franchise for the most um, personal training sessions, for the most revenue, for uh, the largest operation, the most units. And then the Great Recession hit. Oh, we're talking when... about two, 2008? Correct. So the Great Recession hit. And uh, I, I learned a lesson about the worst thing that you can sell in a recession is personal training. So... <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's not food. Nobody eh? wants to buy. Nobody wants to buy personal training in a recession, and we didn't have uh, a plan. So, uh, fast forward, we were able to uh, to get through the Great Recession only because I borrowed uh, I borrowed a few dollars from my mother in law. Hmm. Um, okay. And and by a few dollars, I mean uh, a quarter of a million. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Okay, and so how long so, did it take to to give it back? Uh, let's see. Uh, it took uh, about three years, uh, okay. but I have paid her back. Um, and so we just uh, I was just at her house for Thanksgiving, and it makes it uh, a lot easier to go over for Thanksgiving with my mother-in-law now that mm -hmm. I've paid her back. Sure. Uh, but a lot of um, so uh, now what I'm doing, my brother-in-law ultimately three years ago, bought me out of the fitness business. Okay. And he is really the gym rat in the family. He hmm. loves working out. He loves helping people um, work out. It just wasn't my passion. It wasn't my coffee, like Howard hmm. Schultz uh, from Starbucks feels about coffee. Uh, but, <laughs> it's a beautiful but, but, story, right? Yeah, yeah. I, it's, I, who knows? Uh, he probably hates coffee. But uh, in any <laughs> case, the, the, for me, um, what I, I do love and have been great at uh, was really the consulting work. Okay. And so I had a conversation with my brother-in-law three years ago because I was doing more and more consulting and yeah. less and less work at the gyms. And so ultimately he said, hey, you know, it seems like you're really passionate about uh, helping other people grow their businesses. Why don't you let me um, take over the gyms and you can do that? So I've now been doing this uh, full time for three years. And then uh, most recently started to get nervous that all of my clients weren't prepared uh, for the recession. Hmm. And so that's what got me into uh, into where I'm heading, which is uh, recently put out the, the Rock the Recession book and now um, just trying to get the word out so that other business owners and entrepreneurs 
can rock the recession too. I want to ask you, you had successes and you're going to have a lot of successes, I believe. But before we run into it, I want to ask you to share with us what was your biggest, most critical failure with customers or something that you did wrong or really affected your entrepreneurial journey the most? It, it's, uh, it's an easy one for me. It was letting myself get into a position where I had to borrow the quarter of a million from my mother-in-law. And yeah. the, I didn't even tell you the worst part um, earlier when I mentioned that, Hayut, is that I didn't even borrow it all at once. It was actually uh, 12 phone calls because <gasps> my payroll was about 20,000. Uh, dollars every two weeks wow. and so I had uh, I kept calling and calling and calling um, every two weeks to ask wow. for another loan uh, and so for me I had a big decision which is that whether or not I wanted to put that in the book and so uh, we actually wrote two versions of the rock the recession book one uh, with that story and one without <laughs> it and I ultimately published it and it's the very first thing you read uh, when you open the book uh, that's how we decided to introduce it uh, so it's right up front uh, because we thought um, hmm. you know hopefully that story will be a cautionary tale for um, readers and hopefully the authenticity uh, you know of me going to that one percent of things that I don't like to share uh, would also uh, get us some interest so I, and my big worry there was, you know, will all of my customers read that and wonder why do we want to take advice from the guy that borrowed a quarter of a million from his mother-in-law? You know, how would that affect um, current customers? Would it slow down new customers? Uh, so all of those were, um, were things that I was considering. And the answer? Yeah, it, it, yeah, yeah no, if anything, I think it helped. So all of my current customers um, have been supportive. Uh, I have not lost any. Um, and then I've uh, started working with several new customers. I send them a copy of the book um, actually during my even before they start working with me. So they know up front uh, my story and how I borrowed the quarter of a million, how I ultimately paid it back, what I learned from it, and what I think uh, we can do together that will help them uh, to be in a far better position going forward. Uh, so for me, for me, it worked out. <laughs> It's a wonderful story. First of all, I think that uh, I think that all of us, and I told you that I've been in this recession and I've been an entrepreneur in this in the last recession. And I think all of us were there. And we had to find our ways to get along and to handle the situation if we didn't want to shut the business. I think that if a banker, how did you say at the beginning, the one in the family didn't know how to do business, that's really good with that. If you needed to take a loan, probably any one of the entrepreneurs, the clients, any one of us can find themselves in such a situation. And I love that. I think it's, it's a beautiful story. And it always works, right? The good stories. Yeah. Well, I think, too, that for a lot of the audience, uh, we haven't had a recession in over a decade. And a lot of the entrepreneurs yeah. listening to us, uh, whether you're a solopreneur or you own a small business, 
if you've never been through a recession because you started your business uh, within the last 10 years, then also this topic is completely foreign and something that you've probably never thought about or had to consider. And since a lot of um, entrepreneurs are recent to um, owning their own business or starting a business, it's just another thing to consider right. in terms of what can you do now to get ready so that when uh, the recession hits, you can just stomp on the gas and accelerate so that you can buy, you know, maybe right now you don't have a lot of resources uh, and so you're wondering what you can even do. But in a recession, assets go on sale. The bank may take back, you know, if you're if you're uh, a baker and there's an oven that you covet and it's an expensive purchase, understand that in a recession, um, if the bank has to go repossess somebody's oven, they don't want to own ovens. First of all, the bank is going to have to go uh, repossess the oven. They're going to have to go to wherever it is and pick it up. They're going to have to put it on a truck. They're going to have to drive it to a storage um, unit that they rent. And then they're going to have to put the oven in the storage unit. Then they're going to have to go back and get it and take it to the auction house and auction it. Hmm. And then they're going to give the auctioneer a third of whatever they make. In other words, the bank will happily sell you the oven for pennies on the dollar just so that they don't have to deal with all of that mess that I just talked through. What you can do now if you're right. an entrepreneur and you're listening to this is start making relationships with banks. Let bankers know that in a recession, mm -hmm. you're a buyer for ovens. You know, if they repo ovens, then you would love to be their first phone call and you will happily show up with cash mm -hmm. the next day and you'll show up with strong people to help you carry the ovens and it won't be a problem for them. I mean, that strategy is something um, that you have to plan for now so that you can form those relationships with the bankers now, because in the recession, they're just going to call the first person in their Rolodex that they know will um, bring them cash. Sure. The one that already right. built right. the relationships right. with them. Sure. And now I would like to ask you about the story of your greatest, most significant success as a result of the right customer focus or something you did right about approaching your customers? It really uh, comes down to several of the companies that I work with, and I do work with a lot of construction companies, are having their record years this year. And I think a lot of that is that, um, first of all, um, the economy is strong right now. Construction is a strong market, so it has mm -hmm. a tailwind. And on top of that, We've done a lot to lay the groundwork for that success, for them to be really profitable. And I think the the biggest success is that I have been very honest with them because in a lot of cases, um, it's hard to read the label when you're inside the jar. <laughs> and so my what what I do is I provide that outside perspective, that honest opinion. And I can do it only because I work with 20 different clients I don't have to worry about one of them firing me. I don't have to worry about them getting mad at me. Uh, if they do uh, get mad at me and fire me, I have 19 other sources of income. So I would say that the, the biggest sure. success is that ability to be truly honest and to deliver that perspective from outside the jar uh, that they just can't get internally. And I think, um, I think the biggest success is the success of our clients, isn't it? What a great feeling it is that we managed to 
not only helped ourselves, but helped 20 or 15 other clients to thrive. Yeah, and I think the Hayut for me the the other uh the other part of it is to be like a bullfighter. Hmm. Uh the more that we can um be the matador that really shows off the client or the bull in this case, um then that's where yeah. really the attention deserves to be and should be. So I also um think that I take a lot of pride in doing what I do without um the client even noticing all the small things that go on to help to make hmm. it all happen. Uh, and that's sometimes part of it is that the client doesn't even realize all the little um, flourishes that are helping them to be successful and to look really good um, in the middle of the arena. So I will tell you as a marketer that you should tell them and show them what you're doing while you're doing that. Because so many times a lot of clients look at uh, look at things and say oh it just happened and i think one of the things that a lot of consultants or people that help clients don't do is really show them what they missed and i think it's important don't brag but still show them what they missed what you've done first of all that they will be able to do that even if you won't be on their side but second they should know everyone should know how you help them. Agreed. So this is my, this is my advice. I heard the story of Jeff Bullas at least twice. Once from Jeff himself in his fascinating interview on my show. The same story you will hear next. The second time, I heard the story from Mark Schaefer who used Jeff's story as an example of finding yourself in a low point of your life and leveraging it to the top of the world by becoming a known influencer in your field. Today, Jeff is one of the most awarded social media experts with more than 560 Twitter followers. Jeff Bullis, what a pleasure. I'm so happy to have you here. It's great to be here and um, look forward to having a chat. Jeff Bullis is a digital entrepreneur marketing blogger, keynote speaker, digital strategist, consultant, and best-selling author. He works with companies and executives to grow their online personal brand businesses through social, digital, and marketing automation. And he gets over 5 million visitors to his blog per year. Jeff was listed on Forbes as one of the top 20 influencers of CMOs for 2017 and was ranked by Apollo as the number one global digital marketing influencer for 2016. I just shared with our audience what you did until now. Can you tell me a bit about the Jeff Bullis company? It's a company for many years, isn't it? Um, yes, I, it started as a passion project, so it really wasn't didn't, wasn't any big idea to be another Facebook or anything like that. It was just uh, started from reading David Meerman Scott's The New Rules of Marketing and PR in 2008, and he talked about the power of content to attract an audience, and uh, instead of having to go and chase them with outbound cold calling and other different tactics that have been around for decades. And I thought that sounded actually like a good idea because I've built businesses using cold calling, work for corporations using cold calling and other outbound tactics. And this is in the era when the you know, web really didn't exist. 
so um, then I came upon Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week, which talked about building a business in this digital world. And I went, okay, I like the idea. And then last piece of inspiration um, was uh, reading a blog post by HubSpot. And it said, if you have an inkling of what you want to write about or start a business on, start a blog. So I thought, what's a blog? So that's that was the inspiration. So I discovered a blog was just a place to actually create and share ideas with the world. And the topic uh, was inspired by my observation about what was happening uh, with social networks. Everyone was obsessed with Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest and Instagram. And I went, wow, okay, there's something going on here. So my topic uh, that I started to create content around was social media and the tech world. And, and then mobile showed up. And so that's how JeffLewis.com started. But at the time, I was actually uh, unemployed. But a few weeks later, I got a job in a digital agency where we built e-commerce sites for companies. And um, so, but I continued to write and create and publish on my blog late at night initially. And then I got up at 4.30 a.m. for the next four years um, before I started my day job and just created content and then shared it and then hustled out to the global audience. That's how we really got started. When was it? When did you start your blog? I'm curious about that. We started in March 2009. So it. Wow. Yeah, so it's it's a while now, actually. So it's eight years. And uh, so what happened after starting and I worked for four years for this digital agency and uh, eventually I was going overseas, taking leave without pay. And I said, well, Jeff, you're not really interested in our business too much. We'll cut you down to three days a week and then two days a week. And finally, about three and a half years ago, they said, well, Jeff, why don't you contract back to us, you know, a few hours a week and you can focus on your blog. And I went, oh, OK. So the passion project mm-hmm. had been tipped into a full-time business and uh, it's been growing ever since and we've been having fun. It doesn't feel like work. It's um, built up a virtual team and we have an editor, we have a marketing manager, we have copywriters, we have tech guy, we have a marketing automation person. So it's started just as a passion project that escaped the lab. And my last guest today on this show is Avi Aron. Avi is a friend who I had the pleasure to meet more than a year ago when an investor I met with told me I just must meet him and hear his story. His fantastic story is probably one of the most inspiring stories I heard during my last three years interviewing amazing successful entrepreneurs for my podcast. Avi Aron is a visionary entrepreneur executive chairman, a strategic advisor with extensive knowledge of medical and neurotechnology arenas. Passionate about disrupting medicine for enhancing life quality and utilizing advanced technologies. Invented, founded, and led disruptive companies targeting unmet needs. Envisioned emotion-based personalized predictive preventative solutions. See his TEDx Amsterdam talk, set strategy and led Joy Venture to pioneer and cultivate a neuro-wellness consumer product ecosystem. Avi Aron, what a pleasure to have you here. Hi. Hi, Chayut. Thank you. My pleasure. It's so great because we know each other and I just wanted, I needed you. To tell your fantastic story to my listeners, I just thought they can't miss it. So thank you so much for coming. Can you tell me a bit 
of the story of what made you entrepreneur, what were the stations in the way? Because you have became entrepreneur in a very early stage, isn't it? So I was born an entrepreneur, okay? <laughs> all my life I developed, I, I was a maker, okay? So all my life I built and developed, and I'm, I'm not saying invented at a young age, but all my room was, was full with things I created and built, okay? Yeah. And I always improvised, and I always looked for shortcuts, and I always thought... Can you give us an example? What did you create and built in a young age? Yeah, so even before the age of computers, I developed programmable control for my room to <laughs> um, uh, turn off the lights, and uh, I electrified the, the door so it would open and close and turn on my uh, heating um, sheet in the winter, and everything was completely automatic. So you invented the smart home much, much, much earlier, and most of us didn't even adapt it today. So it's not invented, it's developed, but uh, I had a smart room back in the 80s, okay? <laughs> Where, again, wow. before, before the age of computers even. Um, <laughs> and I mean, just that, that's just like one project. Um, yeah, and then you went to the intelligence. Um, I think that was the next step. Yeah, in my army service, which was five years, I, I graduated as a lieutenant. I developed many, many new things, new services, which sure. unfortunately I cannot detail. And after I, I graduated my service while studying electrical engineering yeah. in Tel Aviv University, the ignition system of my motorcycle broke down. <laughs> and instead of paying a fortune for something that I didn't, that had no warranty, I developed, and that was invented, digital ignition systems. So this is back in 92. And while most students, you know, yeah. had a difficulty making a living, I sold these. Again, this was Mototech with a partner and uh, made a lot of money, rode the Ducati, you know, had the... Uh, wow. So I, I, I did it in, in parallel to studying. Wow, I didn't remember this story, actually. This is a great one. So this was a digital ignition system that enhanced performance. And we gave a lifetime guarantee for the product. Oh. And, uh, and the cost was the same as the competition, meaning obscene. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that, that was my really the first invention, patent, and startup. And again, this was before the days that I even knew that it was called a startup. Sure. None of us did. Yeah, sure. It wasn't called a startup then. Yeah, and one day, riding on my uh, Ducati between the two startups that I worked and the, the university, I had a, had a motorcycle accident on the Ayalon Highway yeah. that changed my life forever. Oh. Um, I was diagnosed with, an, with a brain tumor. Which has nothing to do with the accident, isn't it? Well, it has all to... I mean, because I got hit in the head... They scanned my head yeah. and I found the tumor. So the accident basically saved my life yeah. and allowed me to further research it while still not being in dire need for surgery. Obviously, the surgeon that I met told me that I'm, I, I need to have an operation as soon as possible. But I, um, I don't know if it was intuition or, or just uh, uh, pure Fear, uh, I refused, and I started learning medicine 
enough to envision a new procedure. Wow. The current procedure would have left me uh, disabled, both physically and mentally, and most probably also suffering from epilepsy. Wow. And I envisioned a new surgical approach and had uh, a surgery in, uh, in NYU. I mean, a year and a half later, yeah, I, I searched all over the world for someone that would save my life in, in parallel to learning and practicing lots of alternative medicines. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the surgery was a phenomenal success in the point that they, the physician did not cause any damage, but was a failure in the fact that he could not remove all my tumor. Oh. Um, the reason being that the tumor was extremely deep-seated. It was in the middle of the head. And to get to that location, he needed to, you know, dig through healthy brain. Okay. And he made a tiny, tiny opening. And because of that, he couldn't really see. Okay. And it was immensely frustrating to learn that he did not remove all the tumor. And, and he explained to me the need. And me, because of all the frustration that I had. Yeah. So again, it's the same thing, you know, frustration leading to research, <laughs> leading to invention, leading to a startup. Sure. Uh, I invented a completely different approach to provide him miniature 3D vision. And that company was called Vision Sense. And over um, 18 years, I took it from an idea and, and patents to... Um, global company to being acquired by Medtronic. Wow, uh, but it's, it also saved your life, isn't it? Uh, no. No? Um, okay. I couldn't raise any funding, so I went and had three more surgeries in Germany and Israel. Again, three because of the complications, and uh, only after that I could raise the money. I mean, I started, I started it with my funding, but I'm not that rich, so... <laughs> Uh, when it reached the millions of dollars, I, I had to get VC money. So I, I basically volunteered to have these surgeries when I was still asymptomatic, just so I, would, I, I, I could uh, close on millions of dollars and also marry my love. <laughs> Which is the most important thing <laughs> after staying alive, isn't it? You actually invented Vision Sense, but it didn't help you. But you got saved, isn't it? Well, it took probably something like seven or eight years to develop the technology. Okay? It was okay. insane and, and tens of millions of dollars. Okay. Um, so it, it, it couldn't help me, but I'm, uh, but I'm so happy that it's helping thousands and thousands of people worldwide. You know, it, it's not about me, right? It, uh, it's no, about uh, others. No, and the happy thing is that you don't need it anymore, isn't it? I, you can be thankfully. healthy and help other people to survive. Well, I think I learned my lesson and um, I completely revised my life. Um, this is, I, I'm, I'm detailing that in the TED Talks. I, I will not bore you, but I'm, I'm not the same person. Uh, I completely changed my life. Thoughts, habits, nutrition, uh, lifestyle, and only for the better. And I am actually thankful that I had the brain tumor. Wow. Thankful because it helped me to be a better human being and thankful because it shifted me from inventing stupid ignition systems and Wi-Fi technologies <laughs> to saving human life. Thank you, my Richards, for listening. I hope you enjoyed this 
episode and got inspired by these stories. So if you are an entrepreneur that worries how you can recover from this crisis and ask yourself, is there any chance for you to reach the business success you wish for, I warmly recommend you to listen to the full interviews with Bruce Van Horn, Jonathan Slane, Jeff Bullis, and Avi Aron. You will find them all in the show notes of this episode at therichomis.com. website. Until next week, bye! And for you, our listeners, until the next time, it all goes down to this. You either reach or miss. Keep reaching your goals and vision. Bye! Thank you for listening to The Reach or Miss Show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur. You can find all the information, links, and resources that was mentioned at the show in our website, reachormiss.com. See you next week.